be seated and I'd like to ask you to take God's word with me this morning and open again there to Jeremiah chapter number chapter number two. I'm very thankful for the opportunity uh, to bring God's word this morning and I don't want to take it lightly. Very thankful that Pastor Moreland's given me this opportunity and I hope and pray this morning that the word of God would speak to us, not just my own words. And so let's pray, and then we'll, we'll look at this passage of Scripture. Heavenly Father, we come before Thee again now, and we ask for a soberness before Thy Word. Lord, I ask that Thou forgive me for any time that I've been flippant or foolish or jesting when I've opened Thy Word. In any way, Lord, please forgive me, forgive us. Lord, we recognize the weight and the seriousness of thy word. Lord, we recognize that these words are written that we might believe and that in believing we might have life. Lord, and so we know that for those who are lost, Lord, that these are life-changing words, life-giving words. But for those of us who are truly born again, Lord, we know that these are words that impact how we live every day. And so I pray and I ask that they would reach to the deepest of our hearts this morning and that they would make an impact in our own minds and our own souls. Help me as I, as I share what thou hast put on my heart, what thy word says, Lord, and I pray that it would, that it would cut and that it would cut even in my own heart as it has in the study, Lord. Help us now, I pray, in Jesus Christ's name. Amen. I want to ask you, as we look at this passage of Scripture this morning, Jeremiah chapter 2, verses 1 through 9, I want to ask you this simple question. Are you right with God? Now that's a question that gets asked quite a bit, and you've probably um, thought about it before, but I, I wonder this morning, would you consider that question in your own heart, in your own mind? Would you examine yourself? I cannot examine your life. Uh, when we come to the Lord's Supper, we are commanded to examine ourselves. Uh, the priest, the prophet, has no right to examine you. You must examine your own heart, your own life, before God this morning. And I wonder, are you right with Him? Now that's really a twofold question. It, it speaks to all mankind. First, primarily, are you right with God in salvation? In other words, have you been born again? Have you taken that, that first initial step of believing on the Lord Jesus Christ and being saved? And I imagine that most of you, as I recognize your faces, you've come week after week, I imagine that most of you would say, yes, I'm right with God in salvation. I have, I have recognized my sin. I have recognized my Savior. And I, I have put my trust in Jesus Christ. And I'm right with God. But maybe you're here this morning and you've heard this message many of times. You've heard the gospel many a times. And you're still not right with God. Can I tell you today is the day. You must get right with God. Every moment you live, you're your, your future on earth is shorter than it was. You're running out of time. 
The sands of time are sinking. And you need to get right with God. You need to take this message serious. And you really need to consider, are you right with God? But not only to all mankind, but also the question, are you right with God, speaks specifically to the child of God. For those of us here that know without a shadow of a doubt that I am a believer, I am a follower of Jesus Christ, I I have been passed from death unto life. To me, when I ask that question, all of us, to the Christian, to you, you have to ask that question, have you wandered from God? Or are you right with Him at this current moment? See, many of Christians... As we'll see in this passage, as the children of Israel, they were God's chosen people. They were, they were, they were set apart. They were holiness, as it says in, in chapter two there. They were a special people. But they were a backsliding people. They had wandered away from God. They had gone after the world. They had gone after other gods. And I think, and I fear that many Christians in this world today have wandered from God and are backsliding. Many churches today are backslidden from God. And you would go to those churches, you would go to those people, and you would speak to them, and you would wonder, where is God? Where is the Lord in their lives? And they would have no clue. But it's a question, are you right with God, that historically and and even presently is not a question that is only asked to the individual. No doubt every single one of us this morning must ask that question. Am I right with God? But has also been asked to the nation. You look at the children of Israel. And you look at the time in which Jeremiah this prophet is writing. The reality is is this entire nation had left God. This entire people. Now, sure, there was a small remnant. You see that in Jeremiah and the other prophets. You see that in the king of this time, of King Josiah. You see this in Jeremiah's friends like Baruch. They were right with God. They were pursuing God. They were trying to be holy and acceptable in God's sight. But the nation as a whole had backslidden and had rejected God. I wonder if we took our nation, the United Kingdom, if we took our country today where we live and we said, is this nation right with God? I wonder what is the honest answer. I wonder what, what could be said of the United Kingdom, of America, of, of the rest of Europe, of France, of Germany, of the whole world. In fact, not only could this question be asked individually or nationally, but it could be asked globally. In fact, in in the days of Noah, it was asked globally, wasn't it? There was not a single person on all the earth whose imaginations... that you know that in Noah's day, the world was not destroyed for their actions? The world was not destroyed for what they were doing. It was destroyed for what they were thinking. I wonder what do we use our minds to think about? It was destroyed for that. The entire globe. It was not a local flood. It was not a national flood. It was a global flood. And the evidence is global. 
the world was destroyed because the whole world had rejected God. God was dealing with the world in the flood. God was dealing with Israel in this passage as a singular nation. But God is dealing with us today. And this passage absolutely applies to us as we read it. See, a lot was happening at this time. And as you look in Jeremiah chapter 1, in verse number 2, it gives us the context of what's happening. To whom the word of the Lord, that's to Jeremiah, came in the days of Josiah, the son of Ammon, king of Judah, in the thirteenth year of his reign. So what's happening in this time? In chapter 3, it repeats that in verse number 6. The Lord said also unto me in the days of Josiah the king. And, and what was happening in that day is Israel, Israel, the northern kingdom, had already gone into captivity And the southern kingdom, after Solomon, you know it was divided. The southern kingdom has now this great king, Josiah. Josiah is one of the most famous kings in the Scripture, outside of maybe David and Solomon, King Saul also. But he's one of the most famous because he was a young boy. In fact, he came to the throne when he was eight. But almost as soon as he started ruling the nation, great things started to change in his own heart and mind. And he began to seek God's face. And he began to get right with God. And he began in his own heart to experience true revival, true reformation in his own heart and soul. The Word of God had been discovered once again. And, and uh, the, 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 the law had been discovered. And he was reading it. And he realized that a lot of things in the nation which he was king over needed to change. His heart was sincerely and truly changed, King Josiah's. And so he began to go around the nation of Judah, around the city of Jerusalem, and he began to take down the idols. He began to tear down the temples. He he cut down the groves where where this idolatry was taking place and people were, were worshiping false gods. And the people seemed to be following him. It was a great day, right? But as we read... Through the pages of this time period, we read of Jeremiah's ministry. Do you realize that the children of Israel, the, this, this, the city of Jerusalem, the temple itself would be destroyed? Why? Because the people might have superficially changed with their King Josiah, but their hearts never did. On the outside, they looked right with God. They could dress the part and they went to the temple and they they had torn down the false idols. But in their hearts, they were not right with God. And so I wonder, are you right with God? This this passage, chapter number 2, goes back farther than just the, the current events. Farther than just Josiah and what he was doing. It goes back further and notice what it says. Chapter number 2, verse number 1. Moreover, the word of the Lord came to me. Now this is, this is important because these are not... When Jeremiah stood up to preach, he wasn't preaching what he wanted. In fact, in, in chapter number 20, I believe it is, he, he says this, he says, verse number 9, Then I said, I will not make mention of him nor speak any more his name. See, Jeremiah was suffering a hard life. And he said, you know what? I'm going to stop preaching Jesus. 
uh, God at that point. Jesus hadn't come. But I'm going to stop prophesying and stop preaching that a Messiah is coming, if you will. I'm going to stop warning people. He says, I don't want to do it anymore. But what's it say in verse number 9 of chapter 20? But His Word, God's Word, was in my heart as a burning fire shut up in my bones. And I was weary with forbearing and I could not stay. See, Jeremiah wanted to stop preaching. Why? Because he was being persecuted. It gets really bad for Jeremiah. He, he, he was being ridiculed. People didn't like him. The, the false prophets were literally coming up to him and, and abusing him. And he said, I don't want to preach God's Word anymore because it's too hard. But in his own heart and his own soul, he said, I could not hold it in any longer. It was like a fire burning in me. Everything about me had to declare and had to say, thus saith the Lord. And when Jeremiah stands up to preach, he, he preaches even in chapter 2 here, he is crying forth the words of God, not his own words. Now God uses preachers. How shall they hear without a preacher? God anoints men and uses them. And that's exactly what he did. Chapter number 1 of, of Jeremiah, you see that. And he says this, go cry the word of the Lord in the ears of Jerusalem. The word of the Lord through the mouth of Jeremiah in the ears of the people, saying, Thus saith the Lord, I remember thee. The kindness of thy youth, the love of thine espousals, when thou wentest after me in the wilderness and a land that was not sown, Israel was holiness. Israel was holiness unto the Lord and the first fruits of his increase. All that devour him shall offend. Evil shall come upon them, saith the Lord. Hear ye the word of the Lord, O house of Jacob, and all the families of the house of Israel. See, Israel had a very good start. In fact, Israel, as the scripture says in verse number three, was holiness unto the Lord. You see, God had chosen the children of Israel all the way back uh, specifically in Abraham when He made this Abrahamic covenant. And He told Abraham that through you, I'm going to bless all the nations of the world. In fact, your seed, your your family is going to be as the number of sand on the seashore. I'm going to make your, your nation great. And so God had blessed Abraham and then through uh, Isaac and into Jacob and Jacob wrestles with God and his name is changed from Jacob deceiver to Israel. And, and that's where we get the name of Israel that this is God's chosen people. And God, as you know, uh, takes Jacob, he takes his sons and he takes them to the place of Egypt. And for over 400 years, the children of Israel become slaves to Egypt. They're laboring. But God has still a plan for them. God had cared about them. And so He takes the children of Israel through a man by the name of Moses and He leads the children of Israel out of Egypt. They come out of Egypt. They go through the Red Sea. They go into the wilderness Moses goes up onto the mountain, receives the Ten Commandments and, and really the presence of God in his life. And, and, and Moses is, is, is given the, the instruction for the tabernacle. And the children of Israel 
are following God. Now, no doubt, as you read the pages of, of the law, Exodus and Leviticus and Numbers and Deuteronomy, we see that the children of Israel had some great faults. And they stumbled a lot. But day after day, they followed the Lord. Even in the 40 years of wilderness wandering, they followed the Lord. They came to the edge of the promised land and they followed the Lord into the promised land. God delivered them from the enemies time and time again. And Israel was holiness unto the Lord. They had been set apart. They had, they had been used. See, it says there, I remember thee. What a thought that God had not forgotten His people. Many of us end up in times when things are falling apart in our lives and we think, where is the Lord? But God remembers. I remember thee, the kindness of thy youth. He, he knew that as a young nation, they pursued Him. They were devoted to Him. They were good. The love of thine espousals. They had a love for their God. Who had, who had chosen them. They had went after Him in the wilderness, in the land that was not sown. They followed God. They were a very special people. They went after Him. You see, even as, as the nation was really becoming a great nation in the days of David, in the days of Solomon, the, the, the nation of Israel was booming. They built this, this temple and the, the temple worship. They were worshiping the true and living God the way He had ordained. And though they were broken, though they were still anticipating a Messiah, they were a people that followed the Lord. But that's not how they continued. Israel was holiness unto the Lord. And you know, the truth is, is many of you, many of us who call ourselves Christians have experienced this. We have passed from death unto life. We have, we've been set apart by God. We've been born again. And you know what? At the beginning of our salvation, so often we go strong. We're really going for it. Things are really good. It's, the same is true really in a marriage. We call that the honeymoon period. The first two years or so as a, as a husband and wife come together and they're married and everything at the beginning is so good. It's set apart. But guess what happens? In a marriage and in the, the, the children of Israel in our own Christian lives, things start to get hard. We start to in our own heart think that our way is better than God's way. The husband thinks his way is better than his wife's way, and the wife thinks her way is better than the husband's way. And things start to get a little heated and start to wonder why it's not going as smoothly as it was once once before. And this is what happens in the children of Israel's life. They were holiness. They were set apart. They were the first fruits of His increase. But notice what happens in verse number 5. Thus saith the Lord, What iniquity have your fathers found in Me that they are gone far from Me and have walked after the vanity and are become vain? Chapter number 3, verse number 1. God says that the children of Israel have played the harlot. They went away. They went after sin. They went after their own wickedness. I wonder, does that describe your life? Are you, as a, as a Christian, you say, you know what? When I started, 
I was really all about God and I was, I was trying to put away sin. I was trying to get serious about God. But as I've, as I've continued, things have gotten tough and I've forsaken my God. Notice, notice, notice all the things that it says here. What iniquity have you found in your fathers? The, the very first thing that they began to do, maybe, maybe not in word, but in their action, is they began to blame God. Wasn't that what uh, uh, Adam and Eve did in the garden? In the garden of Eden, they they had taken of the truth, the the fruit. And what did Adam say? The woman that thou hast given me, blaming God, accusing God. You know, I, I think of this. God is speaking here in, in chapter number two to a nation. He's speaking to the children of Israel to Jerusalem, to Judah. He's speaking to this whole group of people. And I wonder in our nation how parallel that is. That the people in this world today, in this country, the way they live, they they blame God for the problems. I was speaking to a man yesterday who had stopped to listen to the open air for a bit and he he went on and, and he said to me, he said, if there is a God, he is a vile man. Accusing God. Pointing his finger at God. One of the people said it, uh, well, I think uh, John was preaching on the box. One of the men said this, God, God's an evil God. Why is there so much evil in this world? The blaming God. Accusing God. That's exactly what the children of Israel had done. Even, even uh, in, in, in the early days of Israel, you see the accusations of God. Why have you brought us into this wilderness? Then it carries on. They, they begin to accuse God, but then they began to walk after vanity and are become vain. They went towards emptiness. They went towards the materialism of the world. What made them feel good? They went towards idols that they literally grabbed wood and fashioned it out of their hands. Their idols were as powerful as this wooden pulpit. They cut it out. They glued it together. And then they would go and worship it. How foolish. But the truth is, is we do the same things. We glue together our Instagram pages and we put it all together with our pictures of ourselves. We put our Facebooks and, and all these things together to, to exalt ourselves. We take our cars and, and we're so concerned about them. We, we change all the exhaust and the engine compartments and we want it to be faster or quicker. And it's all just emptiness, emptiness, emptiness. It's vain. There's no point to it. And at the end of the day, what are we left with? Nothing more than we started with. That's what the children of Israel had done. They had gone after their vanity. They had become vain. I, I think it's interesting in the book of Ephesians, in chapter number 4, that... Uh, the, the, the people, this, this, this I say, verse number 17, Ephesians chapter 4, verse 17, this I say therefore, and testify in the Lord that ye henceforth walk not as other Gentiles walk. So Paul is saying to the, the church, these people, real people in Ephesus, don't walk like the other Gentiles walk. And then he tells us how they walk. Notice what it says, in the vanity of their mind. It wasn't necessarily that they were empty and vain on their outside, but their thoughts were. Just empty thoughts. 
I wonder, what do you use your mind for? Do you think of empty things? Do you think of things that have no benefit? Do you, do you obsess over, I don't know, uh, any world of things? The thoughts and the meditations of our heart, would they be acceptable in the sight of the Lord? They had gone after vanity. It continues. Verse, verse number five, it says this. They walked after vanity and, and are become vain. Verse number six, neither said they where is the Lord that brought us up out of the land of Egypt. Guess what? They didn't even think about God. They forgot God. They forgot to say. They didn't even think in their hearts, where is God? They'd forgotten. They'd forgotten all he had done that led us through the wilderness, through a land of deserts and pits, through a land of drought and of the shadow of death through a land that no man passed through and where no man dwelleth. Is that not our nation? A land that has gigantic monuments to remember what God has done in this city. You go, you go to the city center of Oxford and there's a gigantic monument to men who gave their lives for the doctrines of this book who literally were tied to a wooden pole and burned because they knew that the God of the Bible deserved and was worth and worthy of being worshipped the right way. They burned at the stake. And guess what? If we go to Oxford, if we all jumped in the bus and went to Oxford this morning, and we went and found the people that are sitting on that monument and asked them, what, what's done? What, what, what is this monument? I guarantee you that most of the people there would have no clue. No clue that God had put His hand upon this nation and sent men and women who would go forward for the things of God in this nation. No clue about about the the great churches and the great work that the Lord had done in this land. Uh, Of the day that the Lord on the day of Dunkirk, delivered this nation from the hands of Germany. And how how many stories could go on of how the Lord has worked in this nation, and yet this nation has forsaken, has forgotten, and does not even want to ask the question, where is God? They've rebelled. We have rebelled. As a nation. And this nation stands guilty because of that. That that monument in Oxford is just one of hundreds in this country. To remember the the monuments, to remember the wonders of God in this place. They've forgotten. They forgot that the Lord delivered them through the Red Sea. They forgot that the Lord gave them water. They forgot that the Lord gave them manna. They forgot that the Lord gave them quail. They forgot that the Lord had done all these things for them. They forgot that the Lord took them into the promised land. A land flowing with milk and honey. A land where the grapes were clusters long. A land where, where, where God had blessed them. He had given them a home. And yet they forgot it. No doubt that's our nation. But I wonder, is that your own heart and soul? That continues on. They defiled the blessing. Verse number 7, 
but you went in and I brought you into a plentiful country to eat the fruit thereof and the goodness thereof. But when ye entered, ye defiled my land and made mine heritage an abomination. They built up idols. They planted groves. They sought the things of this world. They sought the gods of their world. And it had gone so far that in verse number 8, not only had all this happened, but the leadership defiled themselves and was corrupt. The priests said not, where is the Lord? They that handle the law knew not the Lord. The pastors sinned against the Lord. The prophets prophesied falsely and walked after things that do not profit. The, The leadership that God had put in their nation, in Judah, to help deliver them and to lead them, the leadership themselves was corrupt. Oh, how many churches across this land, across America, across this world are corrupt because the leadership is corrupt. How many, how many institutions in this world are corrupt because the leadership is corrupt? How many nations are corrupt? They're making up their own story. Wow, the Lord has given us the word of truth. And the reality is, is for this land, for the lands of this world, for individuals, for this nation of Judah, it was just, it had fallen apart. Utter brokenness. There was nothing left. And that's why we finish with verse number 9. The Lord God Almighty says this. Wherefore, in in reference to everything that was just said, because of that, wherefore, I will yet plead with you, saith the Lord, and with your children's children will I plead. God Almighty says, in spite of all that you have done, in spite of how you have forsaken me and gone after wickedness, I will yet plead with you. God says, I am still concerned about your future. Though you have gone after such wickedness, God Almighty is still concerned about your soul. And I believe with all my heart, if you're here this morning, that God is concerned enough to bring you here, has concerned enough to, to, to see the Word of God open. And this morning, as I plead with you, God Almighty, I do believe, is pleading for your soul. What does it mean to plead? It means this, to make an urgent and emotional request. What is the request that God makes for your soul? What is the request that God was saying in Jeremiah's day to the children of Israel? It's simply this, verse number three, chapter number three, verse number one. They say, if a man put away his wife and she go from him and become another man's, shall he return unto her again? Shall not the land be greatly polluted? But thou hast played the harlot with many lovers. Notice what it says, yet this is the message. This is the request that God has for the children of Israel. Return again unto me. Okay, that's one verse. Verse number 7. And I said, after she had done all these things, 
Turn thou unto me. Verse number 12 of chapter number 3. Go and proclaim these words to the north and say, Return! Thou backsliding Israel, saith the Lord, and I will not cause mine anger to fall upon you, for I am merciful, saith the Lord, and I will not keep anger forever. Verse number 14, Turn, O backsliding children, saith the Lord, for I am married unto you, and I will take you one of a city and two of a family, and I will bring you to Zion. Verse number 22, Return, ye backsliding children, and I will heal your backslidings. Behold, we come unto thee, for thou art the Lord God. Chapter number 4, verse 1. If thou wilt return, O Israel, saith the Lord, return unto me. Chapter number 15, verse number 19. Therefore, thus saith the Lord, if thou wilt return, then will I bring thee again, and thou shalt stand before me. If thou shalt take forth the precious from the vial, thou shalt be as my mouth. Let them return unto thee, but to return not thou unto them. Verse number 18, chapter number 18, verse number 11. Now therefore go to speak unto the men of Judah and to the inhabitants of Jerusalem, saying, Thus saith the Lord, Behold, I frame evil against you and devise device against you. Return ye now every one from his evil way and make your ways and you're doing good. And we could go on. There's more passages. Can I tell you in the New Testament, the message was no different. If you look in the book of Matthew, there's the great preparer of the way of Jesus Christ, John the Baptist. Guess what John the Baptist's message was? Verse number 2 of chapter number 3 of the book of Matthew. And saying, repent ye. You know what repent means? It means return. It means to turn back to God. Get right with God. Return for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Look at the book of Acts and in the great day of Pentecost. Peter, then Peter, verse number 38, said unto them, Repent! Return! Get right with God! Jesus Christ, His own message was the same. And in Matthew 4, He said, Repent for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Can I ask you, what is the answer to the world's wickedness? To turn back to God. And maybe, maybe you're here this morning and you are stuck in your sin. And you've been coming to church for a long time, but you just feel, you just feel stuck in it. Can I tell you? Then turn to God. There's, there's no other message. There's no other hope. There's no other way but to get right with God, to turn your eyes upon Jesus. Repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. This nation, this world, needs to turn back to God. Because time is running out. It is a request. That's what it means to plead. When God says, I will plead with you, He's requesting. Now the, the word carries with it the idea of contending. It's almost as if God is, is contending for your soul. He is going and he, he wants to draw you back. He wants to win you back. He wants you to, to get right with Him. And not only you, but He says your children's children, your grandchildren, that the generations to come would get right with God. It is a request. And it is an urgent request. What is more urgent in this world 
than that mankind would get right with God. Can I tell you, lunch is not that urgent. You can go quite a while without having another meal. Get right with God today. Your own wealth is not that urgent. Your 401k, I don't know if you guys have that here, your investments are not that urgent. All the, all the wealth and the money and all that you can gain is not that urgent if your own soul would be cast into eternal damnation because you did not get right with God. There's nothing more urgent because this life is not even short compared to all eternity. This life compared to all eternity, as the Scripture says, is only a vapor. It's gone as soon as you see it. But we and Christians so often go after the world. It is urgent. It is a request. But I also notice that it is an urgent and emotional request. Emotional. It is one of the most important requests. And I think that's why you see Jeremiah as a weeping prophet. You read the, the pages of Jeremiah, and if, if you haven't, I challenge you to. And you read of this, this great preacher. He was a prophet, but he was a preacher that, that really in the Old Testament, I believe, is compared to, to very few others. The way he stood, the way he preached, had so much force and so much power. Jeremiah 13, verse 17. But if you will not hear, my soul shall weep in the secret places for your pride, and my eyes shall weep sore and run down with tears because the Lord's flock is carried away captive. See, Jeremiah was God's messenger. And as he wept, they were not just his own tears. I do not believe, but they were the tears of, of Jehovah God over a nation that had forsaken their God. Psalm 126, verse 5, verse number 4, Turn again our captivity, O Lord, as the streams in the south. They that sow in tears shall reap in joy. He that bringeth forth and weepeth, bearing precious seed, shall doubtless come again with rejoicing, bringing in the sheaves bringing the sheaves with him. I wonder, and, and, and I must be honest with you to say that I have wept for souls before, but if I'm honest, I'm not weeping for souls. I do not feel the urgency of this request that people get right with God. And I wonder if you're a believer today. I wonder who are you weeping for? Who are you concerned about? And I wonder if you're lost today. I wonder if you've never got right with God. If you know that you have never passed from death unto life, you've never been born again, you've never been saved, call it whatever you want. I wonder if you are not right with God, Will you get on your knees today and call upon Him? He said, come. He said, look. He said, believe. Would you simply 
get right with God today. This was the message of Jeremiah. Jeremiah would, would preach for 40 years and call the children of Israel to get right with him. And amidst those 40 years, Jeremiah would be taken and abused. Jeremiah would be taken into captivity. Jeremiah himself would watch the, the, the city of Jerusalem fall. And that's when you read Lamentations and you see his, his heart cry for the people. Let me, let me show you something in Lamentations. Ch- chapter number 3. Lamentations, it seems that everything had fallen to shreds. Everything had fallen. The temple was destroyed. But notice what it says in verse number 22 in chapter number 3. It is of the Lord's mercies that we are not consumed because His compassions fail not. See, the children of Israel went into captivity. They were chastened, but they were not utterly destroyed. Verse number 22 again. This is It is of the Lord's mercies that we are not consumed because His compassions fail not. What's it say? They are new Every morning, great is thy faithfulness. The Lord is my portion, saith my soul. Therefore, I will hope in him. The Lord is good unto them that wait for him, to the soul that seeketh him. It is good that a man should both hope and quietly wait for the salvation of the Lord. And I hope today that you would seek him and that you would wait for the salvation of the Lord. Let's let's pray. Heavenly Father, I ask and, and pray, I desire, we desire, Lord, that Thou wouldst teach us to weep for souls. Lord, that Thou wouldst help us to see this urgency and help us to see this need that people would get right with Thee. I thank Thee that Thou art a God who is pleading for souls. Thou hast given Thy Word. Thou hast given testimonies. Thou hast given faithful laborers. Thou hast given so many, so many mercies which are new every morning. Thou hast given so many lost people more breath, more life, that they might get right with Thee. And though their sin abounds, Thy grace is still abounding. Lord, and I just pray and I ask that they would accept that gift that Thou hast given us, the Lord Jesus Christ. Lord, draw people to Thyself. I pray this morning, Lord, I know that there are people in this, in this tent who are lost. Lord, and I pray that they would hear Thy Word and get right with Thee. They would, they would stop pushing it off, that they would seek the Lord while He may be found. We pray these things in the name of Thy Son, the Lord Jesus Christ.